Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Howdy, folks. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat there by the fire? I trust you've brought the s'mores. Because I have indeed brought you a jam-packed, semi-season finale. Now, we all know that the next episode is the actual season 11 finale. The first of two Hometown Legends specials. You know, rumor on the street is I'm bringing back the East versus West format. But I probably shouldn't have spoiled that. But hey, it's the week after Independence Day. A week or two ahead of my vacation. And it's much too beautiful outside to be in a windowless studio. So I guess you could say I have senioritis. But I'm not going to let that stop me from delivering you one of the spookiest episodes yet. So fix you some more. Grab a poker stick and toss a few more pieces of oak on the campfire before you sit down. We're going to want it nice and bright out here. Once we hear what Vince from Illinois has to tell us. Hey Derek, how's it going? My name is Vince. I am from Chicagoland, northwest suburbs of Illinois. So the first one uh, revolves around a story back from season four. I believe the caller's name was Caitlin. She was talking about this white man-like thing. Um, it was this, you know, kind of white man figure, I guess. And just wanted to call in and mention that there was a couple other stories that talked about the same thing. A white man-like figure walking on all fours, kind of back in the brush. I believe she said her sighting happened back in early-ish 2000, so like 2011, if I'm not mistaken. At least that's when I saw something similar. I was living in Elgin at the time, and I would take walks around the neighborhood super late at night, um, you know, couldn't sleep, dealing with insomnia, what have you. And not really forest preserves, but little patches of woods throughout the neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods around my house. And there was one night in particular, super clear skies, it was pretty warm, I'd say high 60s, low 70s, so comfortable night, uh, just going out for a stroll for a little bit. And I come through this patch of, I guess, wooded area between one neighborhood and then on the other side was kind of this park. They had street lamps through, you know, the walking paths. It was one of the rare parks in the area that a lot of people to be there at night, um, which is why they had the paths lit up. So I'm walking through this small patch of woods to kind of cut across from one neighborhood over to this park, and I hear rustling. I don't think anything of it. A handful of deer in the area. We had one or two coyotes, so I'm like, you know what, it's fine. 
You know, I'm a big guy. Coyotes don't really come out and mess with people anyway, so whatever, we're good. As I continue walking, again, like I said, pretty clear night. Moon wasn't full, but it was providing enough light to where I didn't need a flashlight or anything like that. And the wrestling gets closer. So now I'm getting a little concerned. I'm like, all right, you know, if I do spook a coyote, you know, hopefully it runs off. Hopefully it doesn't attack me. But I'm thinking, you know, I've spooked a deer before and they've actually come at me. Turns out that it was mother with its babies. So, you know, protecting the babies. So I start to get a little tense. I'm like, all right, I'm going to walk a little bit faster. You know, hopefully I can get through this little patch of woods and we'll be all good. The wrestling gets closer as I'm, you know, starting to move faster. And I've got about 20 feet maybe 30 feet before I reach the end of these woods and I'm out in the clearing again and I hear the rustling behind me at this point. Um, the rustling eventually stops. And I'm like, all right, cool. It's gone. It stopped. I turn around and there is this white thing. Looks like a guy, but the head was, wasn't right. Like it was elongated. Like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. Um, think about like looking at a football straight on, like, setting up a football for uh, for a field goal and the way that it's kind of sitting there, you look at it and that's what it looked like. Not really pointy at the bottom, but more pointy at the top. Um, looked very emaciated. You know, you could tell that there was muscle, but it was extremely lean. The arms, I guess, were more elongated, longer than a normal person's arms would be, and the legs seemed to be a bit shorter. So almost like it was making up so then it could walk around on all fours. Nothing else, at least nothing that I was able to find online, asking friends, asking people who lived nearby that I knew had reported anything, you know, of, of, of that type. You know, people had seen deers, people had seen coyotes. There were a couple of random stray dogs that would run around, but nothing the size of or that looked like a person. I didn't see any hair on it, no fur, Nothing that would, you know, hint that this was some sort of animal, you know, whether it was a sick animal, something, uh, an animal with albinism, nothing of that sort. So I'm not really sure, you know, what I actually saw. Just pretty damn sure that I saw something. I'll probably call back, you know, got a couple other stories, um, some of the other experiences that I've had happen in groups in the past. So, uh, yeah, again, love the podcast. Keep it up. Hopefully, once money gets a little bit more flexible, I'll be uh, subscribing to the Patreon if you still got it going on. Right, thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, fans. Here are those pale walker cryptids again. The tall, slender, pale humanoids, typically seen in states like Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, New York, and I guess now Illinois. Now, it wasn't all that long ago I shared an audio portion of a video taken in my home state of Ohio. A fellow named Richard Grebenak filmed what looked like a tall, gaunt, pale humanoid figure in his backyard. You know, also found on the same episode is a submission describing something similar. A submission sent in by Ethan in New York. So it would seem like these things like to stay in or around Great Lakes states with one noteworthy exception. In my current state of California, there is also a creature matching that description that is said to inhabit the forests of the Sierra Range. My brother referred your email address to me. 
He thought you may have an answer to what I saw this past July while camping in the Sierra Nevada mountains, near Tioga Lake, California. My teenage son and I were camping in our RV. On the third night of our trip, we encountered something that neither of us can explain. This is bear country and I know that there have been Bigfoot reports over the years. But what we saw was neither as far as we can tell. We secured all of the food and other supplies in the RV, and were getting ready to go to bed. It was about 12.30 am. My son fell asleep quickly while I was getting a few things ready as we were going to leave this location later in the morning. I was looking at a map when I started to hear high-pitched screams. At first I thought it was a coyote, but it was a single scream and sounded more human, like a woman's scream. I opened the RV door and stood silent in the doorway. Once again the high-pitched scream started. This time, it woke my son. We both stood at the door as the screams continued from the direction of the mountain. After about 10 minutes the screams stopped, we both went to bed. Something startled me while I was sleeping because I woke in a panic. I looked at my watch, it was 2.40 am. Then all of a sudden that same high-pitched scream erupted outside of the RV. As it started my son jumped out of his rack and fell to the floor. I grabbed my 44 just in case. As we looked out through the windshield the moonlight was bright enough to illuminate a tall thin creature with light-colored skin. My son yelled, zombie. It did look like a female human form, but the face and the rest of the body looked horrible. It reminded me of an old witch, no clothes, deformed face, long light-colored hair, long arms and legs. I figured it stood almost seven feet. It was walking away from the RV toward the lake. I had seen enough. I made sure everything was ready to go and rove out of their ASAP. We ended up near Mono Lake. A few days later I was able to talk to a ranger as he walked through the camping area. He was an older guy and quite engaging. I described what we witnessed. My son also verified what we had seen. The ranger got a serious look on his face and said that over the years, something similar had been reported a few times. He said that they called it Penelope, but he didn't know why it had gotten that name. That's all he knew. Now that clip courtesy of Phantoms and Monsters and Beyond Explanation on YouTube. And you heard that right. A pale crawler-esque witch that roams the mountains of the Sierra Nevada. Now I've heard of this entity before, but didn't know much about it. So naturally, I did some digging and found this courtesy of Weird California. Every now and then, someone sees or runs across a large, vicious, horrid humanoid creature roaming the Sierra Nevadas. Said to be female, thin, and seven feet tall, with long arms and legs, a deformed face, and long, dirty, light-colored hair. This bestial creature is known as Penelope, and she is the subject of urban legend in the area. Park rangers in the area have documented a few strange sightings over the years in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and these encounters have been attributed to this creature, who for some unknown reason is referred to as Penelope. She has been described as wearing no clothes, looking like a bestial giant witch, rumored to be lightning fast with razor-sharp claws. She has supposedly disemboweled or decapitated her victims before they even realize she is there, moving so fast they have no time to react before she is upon them. Who is she? Where did she come from? No one is quite sure, but the short version of the urban legend describes her as a woman who became lost in the Sierra Nevada mountains and somehow turned into the flesh-eating monster that terrorizes the region today. That all sounds absolutely terrifying. And if I might mention this, this is vaguely the same region that's said to be home to the infamous Fresno Nightcrawlers. 
Connection? Coincidence? I don't know. But I did my best to find out why they call her Penelope instead of Agatha or Twiggy. Unfortunately, I came up dry. So if you happen to know the answer to that little riddle, I would love to know. Now before you start thinking, this is one of these one-off cryptids, something I dragged out of a pond somewhere. That video from Phantoms of Monsters and Beyond Explanation features two other sightings. And believe it or not, I saw quite a few others on the old YouTubes. So apparently, this is an entity that's been seen on occasion. So she might be little known, but there's no denying that folks say they've seen old Penelope out there on the mountain. And thanks again, Vince, for sharing your entry. Well, you know the show is about to go on break, but you can still rep Monsters Among Us all summer long. Pick up a t-shirt, hat, patch, pin, bag, and much, much more by visiting the shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. Now proceeds from all the items directly fund the show, so show your support in style. And don't forget that some of the proceeds from all of the posters sold in the shop goes to the Navajo Water Project, a nonprofit that seeks to bring water to homes, starting with the folks of the Navajo Reservation. So one more time, that's Monsters Among Us podcast, forward slash shop. Now next up, we hear from Jake in the state of Washington. Hey, this is Jake calling from Washington State. This was at my parents' house when I was in high school. I think this was junior year of high school, so this would have been like 2015. I was sitting in my bed one night at probably about like 10.30 or so, and my lamp was on next to me, and I was just on my phone, just like watching YouTube videos or doing something. And I remember I looked over at my clock, and I blinked, and from the time went from like 10.30 on my clock to like 6.55 a.m., five minutes before my alarm was supposed to go off to go to school. And this is probably the strangest thing that's ever happened to me before, because... I know I didn't fall asleep because I have the hardest time getting up in the morning. So I feel like if I fell asleep, I would have been groggy and I would have been like sleepy, but I wasn't any of that. I basically closed my eyes for two seconds and then looked at my clock and just about eight hours had passed in the blink of an eye. And I have no idea what caused this because I was sober. I was not tired. I was not intending on pulling an all-nighter or anything like that so i don't imagine that i was tired enough to just fall asleep and not realize it i was inspired to call this in because i just listened to season four episode 20 something i want to say where a woman called in and said something similar to this had happened to her when she was a kid it was like Christmas Eve or something, and she said that basically the same thing happened. Like she had blinked or just like sat down and looked, and it was morning. And I told my mom about it in the morning, and she said that she said I don't know what happened. She said you probably just fell asleep and didn't realize it. I don't think I did because my lamp was still on. I was still fully clothed too. I didn't feel different or anything it literally it just felt like i blinked and then it was morning time so 
hope you can use this on the air. And I love the podcast. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, sir. Now, Jake, are you certain there wasn't odd weather that evening? Were you in a rural setting by chance? Were there three figures moving in unison outside your window? You know, that sort of missing time certainly aligns with the odd Beardman phenomena. Or maybe I'm just wishful thinking. Now, you know, if the Beardman phenomena is new to you, go check out episode 15 of season 7 of this series. That'll be sure to catch you up to speed. And thanks again, Jake. You know, it might be time to start wearing your pajamas inside out. I think I would. Alright, where are my UFO nuts? Because Jared in New Mexico has an experience to share with us. Hey Derek, this is Jared Weiss. Uh, I live in New Mexico now, but this is a story from where I grew up in Ohio, just like you. So uh, I'm about 11 or 12 years old, and my father's house is in the country, outside of a tiny town called Millersburg, Ohio, about a town of about 3,000 people. And uh, his house is situated on a hill, and there was a flight pattern from the Dayton Air Force Base uh, where they would fly test runs, kind of uh, cargo air, airplanes. Maybe every couple weeks or so, there'd be a, a cargo plane that flew over really loud, really low, always flew in the same kind of flight pattern from west to east. But uh, one night, I'm going to sleep, and my bed is situated uh, up against the window so I could look up and see the sky. This night was really clear just looking at the stars and I hear sound it's like one of these cargo planes and it's uh, on the other side of the house so I can't see it so I'm waiting for it to come into my field of vision and when it does uh, I'm expecting a, an airplane but what I see is this kind of disc-like shape it's very large it's only about 100 feet above the house and it's on fire and the fire is this is green I distinctly remember it like billowing seeing the fire kind of like swelling just billowing around this disc-like shape and there's a tail from the fire so it's moving in the direction that it's moving the tail is coming off the rear end of this shape and it's going very slowly like so slow that it you know probably shouldn't be flying and it's making this you know kind of like rumbling sound like and you know it sounded like a cargo airplane i watch it go across the valley it's very slow and you know watch it for maybe a minute and then it makes this noise that's kind of like a pin drop and it just takes off as a streak of light, and it was just gone. Just like went incredibly fast, was going really, really slow, and went really, really fast. So that's it. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. Oh yeah, I know Millersburg. That's Amish country up that way. And I almost drowned in nearby Apple Valley Lake once. That's right there in that area. But the point is, I grew up an hour away. And I, too, remember seeing some large jets pass over our area from time to time. Never a burning flying saucer, though. That's quite the visual. Now, my initial thought after having heard that detail was that the craft may be malfunctioning. Is it on fire because of mechanical or perhaps electrical failure? Did Jared witness a near crash? Or is it possible that the flames were a byproduct of its propulsion? Jared did describe a low rumbling sound, similar to a cargo plane's engines. 
But talk of UFOs in that portion of the Buckeye State reminds me of one case in particular. Portage County, Ohio. Some 80 miles from Millersburg. Much shorter as the UFO flies. Seven months almost to the day before the infamous Mothman sightings of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, there was the UFO chase of 66. Around 5 a.m. on the morning of April 17, 1966, Portage County, Ohio police officers Dale Spar and W.L. Neff were out on their normal patrol. Uh, officers uh, Dale Spar and uh, Wilbert Neft were uh, driving along a back road and they, there was a uh, truck that was pulled over. So they pulled over to investigate it and Dale Spower got out of the car and he hears this strange humming noise. So he turns around and he sees this uh, giant UFO. The UFO passed them. Spower and Neff got in their patrol car and they started to follow it. The ensuing chase lasted for 86 miles. At times, Spar and Neff traveled at speeds over 100 miles per hour. From their starting point on Ohio Route 224 near Atwater, they pursued the object down Ohio Route 14. Spar later recounted, Somebody had control over it. It wasn't just floating around. It can maneuver. Now the chase finally ended in Conway, Pennsylvania, when the cruiser ran low on fuel. That's where witnesses claim the craft shot straight up in the air and out of sight. Now if you want all the details of this event... Follow the link in the show notes for the full video by the Beaver County Times. So yeah, you could say that area certainly has some UFO history. So thanks again, Jared, for sharing yours. Now our next installment this evening was submitted anonymously from our neighbor to the north. Hey there, um, I'm calling from Canada. I'd like to remain anonymous. I'm only remembering this story now because I was listening to the Graveyard Tales podcast, which is pretty awesome, and they just did Esther on the Swamp. And this happened a while ago. It was 2006, I'm pretty sure. I think I was 12 years old and visiting family in the Philippines. It's kind of strange because I love hearing about like Supernatural. I've never really encountered it up until that point, and I don't care to encounter it again, to be quite honest. But I was visiting family in the Philippines with my mom's side, and we were doing, like, a whole, like, extended family, like, I think it was, like, a weekend trip. And um, we stopped at this, like, villa that I think we rented for the night, and it was really kind of creepy. It was, I think, two hours outside of Manila, which is one of the main cities. And um, more so in, like, the forested jungle. It's a really rural area, so, like, forested jungle was surrounding it. But um, I remember it was being really creepy, and there was two pools, and... Even though my family, all my extended family, maybe my cousins, aunts, uncles were there, were having a good time, but all of us felt on edge. The entire time, I always had to look over my shoulder, even in the daylight. I don't know why. It was very much a bare bones field that was private property, and in the Philippines, at least in this area, because it's so hot, there's no need. And like this was like an older house too. We did it. It wasn't fashioned with AC. The windows inside the house. There was no glass. It was literally wrought iron bars like were, that were decorative and like bended nicely to look very presentable. And then I got a mesh screen to keep out the bugs, but there was no actual glass covering it or like anything like that. And I remember that night, our room was bare bones. It had just a bed, a dresser, and then like it was so hot you didn't need um, sheets or anything. And I remember that night sleeping between my grandma and my mom. 
I don't know how, but in the middle of the night and at night, like the fauna is so loud. You have the, like the sounds of the animals coming out at night, like the insects and everything and the birds, like even they're still loud at night and it's, it's super loud. So in the middle of the night, for some reason, it's still illuminated from like the street lamps outside. I sit up ramrod straight and I was awake this whole time. I know I wasn't dreaming because I sat up ramrod straight. My back just shot up out of bed and I was like ready to get up. And my grandma woke up at the same time. My mom and my grandma woke up at the same time and they put their hands on my shoulders and forced me back into bed. And I remember being awake and conscious doing this and I couldn't really like think or move or like, I didn't think it was weird. I had no emotion doing it. I did it multiple times. I would like, I would sit up ramrod straight. It pushed me down and then I would like fall asleep again. Five minutes later, I'd wake up, be conscious about it, do it again, no emotion. They do it again and push me right back down. I think right like the fourth time it happened, my grandma, God bless her, she started like praying, like doing the Lord's Prayer and started praying rosary over me. I know I wasn't dreaming because like I was so conscious when this happened. I just thought like I need to get outside. And the thing is, the fauna outside was completely silent. There was no sound from the fauna. It was so strange to me. And like, this was so long ago. So recently I asked my mom about this. I was like, do you remember when this happened when I was 12? And she's like, yeah. And like, your Lola kept praying home for you because she kept saying the swan was around, like the swan was trying to get you, which is like this Filipino witch who prays upon young kids and unborn children. It was really strange, but that's my only, uh, my only story. Keep up with the good work at the podcast. I have one more. If you're ever going to do it again, the small town episode. So I'll call back with that. Thanks. Thanks, caller. Hell yeah, Graveyard Tales. Matt and Adam are some good dudes. Now, we've covered several Aswang videos on Paranormal Caught on Camera in the past. And those clips, real or not, were downright creepy. And I realize the Aswang is an entity we don't get to discuss all that often here on the program. So I asked my Paranormal Caught on Camera co-panelist, or whatever they call us, to help us out. So, Sapphire, what is an Aswang? An Aswang is one of the most feared beings in the Philippines, but there is no one definition of an Aswang. There are five general types. They can be blood-sucking vampires, shape-shifting viscera suckers, vengeful witches, flesh-eating were-dogs, or corpse-stealing ghouls. What all these types have in common is that they are all deceivers. They take an innocuous form during the day and transform into monsters at night to hunt for humans. You can warn yourself of the presence of an aswang by placing bowls around your house containing oil that has been blessed by an albulario. When the oil bubbles, an aswang is near. Of course, that's good friend of the program, Sapphire Sandalo of Stories with Sapphire. If the aswang is your kind of thing or other Filipino legends, or hell, anything paranormal for that matter, Hit the link to Stories with Sapphire in the show notes. You won't be disappointed. And thanks again, caller, for sharing your story. And a big thanks to Mom and Grandma. Without them, you might not be here to tell the tale. Now, you know, speaking of Graveyard Tales podcast, I recently had Adam from the show on one of my Rewind episodes over at Patreon. Now, on these Rewinds, I have a guest to join me as we revisit classic Monsters Among Us calls from over the years. 
It's a lot of fun, and I'm recording our next installment next week. So hit up patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast to learn more. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, I've been there. I've struggled with depression, trauma, and grief. And I can tell you from experience, speaking to a professional can be extremely helpful. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is just right for you. You can connect in a convenient, safe, online environment and start communicating in under 48 hours. With BetterHelp, you have the option to schedule weekly video or phone sessions or message your counselor anytime. BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, family conflicts, LGBTQ plus matters, grief, and a lot more. Now, the service is available worldwide and at a more affordable price than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is also available. So join over 1 million people who have already taken charge of their mental health and start living a happier life today. As a Monsters Among Us listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the spooky stuff. Now, believe it or not, we're nearing the bottom of this bucket full of stories. But it's not empty yet. Our next harrowing tale comes to us from Logan in the state of Oregon. Hi, this is Logan. This is a story I distinctly remember just this moment. It was uh, during the fall season in October. I was home alone. My sisters and my parents were out watching a, I think, a football game. And I was home alone with my dogs. I look out the window because I hear them barking at something. I look out the window and I looked down this long, mile-long driveway in the middle of nowhere in the western coast of Oregon. And I see this light going down our driveway. I thought it was my parents coming home. Just this singular light coming down the driveway. Smooth, fluid motion. It's really weird. So I walk outside to go take a look. I'm looking at it. My dogs are going crazy. They're barking at it. I won't let them run near it, obviously. It's a ways away. They won't run near it anyways. So I'm telling them to shut up, and I'm looking at this light. It's just moving there. And all of a sudden, it just disappears at the end of the trees. There were just these uh, trees that were there. At first, I thought someone like, was walking like on a bike down our driveway, like, in a bike down the driveway. And then it just vanished. And then I didn't see any motion whatsoever. I didn't even see no figure, no vehicle. It was still somewhat daylight out. But it was the sun was going down. I didn't see nobody. Nothing was there except that single glowing light. And then I immediately called my mom and asked if they were coming down the drive or home. And they said, no, we're, we're still at the high school. It's just strange to see the single light glowing. This is the first time I've ever seen, like, lights at all on the property or anything like that. I mean, I've seen shadowy figures and I've seen, like, weird creatures, but I've never seen a light, just a singular light. And it wasn't like 
one of those random moving balls of light. It was going straight. It was a bright, normal light. It's not like when you flash a headlight, it was white, very white, actually. I didn't know what to make of it. It just vanished. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that since. And, of course, my parents never believed me. They never believed me when I've experienced things. So, uh, yeah, that's my story. You might not find, find it that interesting, but I just thought it was worth sharing. I had a reminiscence of it late at night. So, uh, yeah, uh, I might call in again later for more stories. All right, bye. Thanks, Logan. Now, I hate to keep using this explanation, but this again sounds like another instance of ball lightning. An orb of light slowly moving across a path. Now, of course, as interesting as ball lightning is, it pales in comparison to a good old-fashioned ghost story. So be it ball lightning or the ghost of a headless motorcyclist. Thank you, Logan, for sharing your entry. Oh, and don't hold out on those creature sightings. Now, folks, if you have a story that you think would be perfect for the program, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website for more submission options. Now, here's a new one. James, from Illinois. Tell us about your experience. Hi, Derek. This is James out of Illinois. I'm about 40 miles south of Chicago in the small town Manuka. Well, however, uh, I work all throughout the state, and what I do, I install the electronic monitoring bracelets for uh, parole offenders. So anyways, I had to go down to a small town. It's called Hopkins Park. That's about 120 miles south of uh, Chicago. It's a small area that's way out in the country. I mean, they, they might have, I don't even think they have any gas stations or anything, but it's way out. And the houses are spread out, and I had to go hook a guy up, use a sex offender. But anyways, I go down this one road. I've been down there several times. Out of the five or six times I've been down there, this has happened like three times. I come to a stop sign, and it's right by a cemetery, old cemetery. So I'm sitting there, and I have a Subaru, and the Subaru has the eyesight. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but what it will do, it will stop. If someone is in front of your car or another vehicle, your car will sound alarm, and if you don't stop, it will stop itself. So anyways, when I come to the stop sign, and I'm sitting here, and I go to take off, the, I'll hear the beep, and the car will stop, and it won't go, and it'll stay there for a couple seconds. Like if some, and I've had this happen, like if someone's walking out in front of the car. And it's done this like several times. And um, that's the only time this happened when I'm down here by this cemetery. And again, this is in a, a little small town. You probably heard of it. Well, you, maybe not. It's called Hopkins Park. And like I said, it's way out in the country. And again, the car will not move. And it's sensing something in front of the car. But there's nothing. It's filled everywhere. It's a four-way stop that's out in the middle of nowhere with the exception of the cemetery. So it's just strange. And like I said, out of the five or six times I've been down there, this has happened like three times. And it's usually in the evening. Like, And it's been times I've been down there late at night. I had to, an emergency repair where I might have got a bracelet, might have broken off, and I had to go do it. And uh, again, the car just stopped. It is so freaky because the only time it does that is when something is in front of it. So that's my story, and again, I just thought I would let you know. And 
the type of work I do, I've had several other stories, but I know I don't have time to tell you, but I will call back and tell you about this other story that's really strange. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, James. Now, that is odd, but I've actually heard about this phenomenon before. It's actually been featured at least twice on the aforementioned show, Paranormal Caught on Camera. And in those clips, I believe the sensor went off in the same intersection each time they passed through. Now, my truck is pretty bare bones, but my wife's sporty crossover has a similar feature. A sensor that beeps at you if it thinks you're going to ram into something. And this one beeps in the same place for no observable reason, other than it occurs on a turn, which I suspect then has the sensor thinking we're on a collision course with a car parked off the street. So maybe something similar is taking place in James's Subaru. But then again, maybe that car can see something we simply can't. Either way, thank you, James, for sharing that experience. Well, here we are again. The end of the road, in certain terms. Our final entry of the evening. And this one is quite the doozy, folks. So hailing from the state of Pennsylvania, please welcome Justin to the program. Hey, Derek. Love the show, man. Figured I'd call in and contribute. So I am from southwestern Pennsylvania, your neck of the woods. I'm uh, right at the bottom of Allegheny County. I live a mile from Washington County. So I am a volunteer fireman. I've been a volunteer fireman since I was about 15. I got in in the junior program. It's a program, you, I think it starts at 14, and you know, you just hang around the station, got to do a couple classes, and it's pretty much just getting the lay of the land. You know, some people make it to older senior fire guys, and some don't, so I was one of the ones that did. My story starts, we were knocked out for a DOA, which is dead on arrival possible DOA, should I say. It was an 82-year-old male. It was my first one. I was 17. I was just about to become a senior guy, which is a 18 and above fireman. Yeah, so we got knocked out. The address was 211 Underwood Street. I'll never forget it. I see 211 everywhere, everywhere since this. So we go, and we're running the call. We get there, and sadly, the male has passed away. He was there for a couple days, you know. Luckily, it was winter. His sister ended up coming, and he wasn't responding. He passed away on his bed. So I was outside. Like I said, I was still under the age 18, and my chief comes out. My chief was one of the guys on the call, and he comes out, and he says, Hey, Poe, everybody calls me Poe. So he says, Hey, Poe, you want to go in? I know what he was doing now. He was testing me, you know, wanted to see if I could handle it. So me being 17, you know, oh, yeah, yeah you know, superhero. So, yeah, I go in, and, and it's eerie. There is definitely a sense when someone passes away in a location. Since then, I've had many uh, DOAs perform CPR many times. You name it, I've seen it. s and limbs, wrecks, motorcycles, all bad. So I go in, and definitely very strange, eerie feeling in the house. Very heavy, there's just something in the atmosphere, and when it happens, it's, it's, it's extremely bizarre. Standing there, the family's there, we're consoling, we're waiting for the coroner to get there to help get this guy on a backboard and load him up into the uh, coroner's van. 
So didn't really think anything of it. You know, like I said, uh, I've been on plenty other calls. I'm 30 years old now. You know, this was back in, goodness, long time ago, you know. So life goes on. I'm living. Plenty of other stuff's happened. I've seen way worse stuff than that. A poor 82-year-old guy that, you know, had a full life. Way worse stuff I've seen. So uh, one night I have uh, end up getting an, a very weird nightmare. What it was is, is everything is white, okay? You see this old guy, that's the DOA guy, the 82-year-old male. You see him, and he's standing very wispy. You know what I mean? He's almost see-through. He, he's kind of white with the, you know, uh, surroundings around him. He's standing there, and he says, everybody dies. But the thing is, when he says it, like, I see his mouth move, and then the words come. The words don't come out of his mouth when his mouth, like, delayed. No one else is there, just him. So he says, everybody dies. And then it's like thousands of people are, are in this white that I can't see. And they all whisper, everybody dies. And then I wake up. So I had the dream for the first time, freaked out, of course. I'm waking up, I'm oh, taken back. I don't, you know, go down, get a drink of water, come back up. I sit there, I ended up going back to sleep. And it was a span up of about two years. I, I had my panic attacks, reoccurring nightmares, very weird feeling like I'm not myself, my eyes, you know, I would be somewhere and just, I'm almost like googly eyed. Like, you know, that feeling you get when you have way too much sleep and you're just like, Oh, I feel off and crappy and strange. And I mean, I just went through this period of just like, I was just scared all the time. You know what I mean? Stupid stuff that I shouldn't have been scared of that I, I would have dealt with. You know, I had, a, I had big fears after this, like heights and stuff. I, I was never scared of heights before. but So I went through two, three years of this phase. I, I don't know if you want to call it a phase. But after two years or whatever, I didn't really connect what was going on with me. So I end up getting with this girl, and we're dating for a while. And end up going to her mom's house one night. She needed something from the store, so she ran down to the gas station and got something left me there because I didn't want to go. It was cold winter in southwestern Pennsylvania. You know how that is. So I wanted to just stay there. And so her mom, I guess, is into something called Reiki, and she's some type of uh, medium. She can do all kinds of stuff. I really wasn't into that stuff at, at that time. I wasn't big into the paranormal and all this. You know, kind of is what helped me along into that field. But so we're sitting there. We're not really saying a bunch of TVs on. She's watching. I'm watching. And she just looks at me and she goes, there's a, there's an old man in the kitchen behind you. I turn around. I look. I'm like, what, are, what the bleep is this lady talking about? Um, okay. And she says, yeah, he, uh, he follows you around. I'm a little taken back. I'm, I'm not tying any of this together at this point. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, uh, what does he follow me around for? And she says, he took to you as a as a son, or you resemble his son, or you need him, or something. Still not connecting dots, and I don't until way later. But um, I haven't told anybody about this. These nightmares, these night terrors, waking up, panic attacks, not wanting to sleep. I mean, I'd stay up as long as I could terrified to sleep because I just knew I was going to have a night there. I mean, this was reoccurring every night, every 
nights, man. And, and it was a long two to three years. Yeah, so she's sitting there talking and, and telling me, you know, you took to you like a son or you need him. And I'm like, okay. And then she continues with, he wants you to know it's okay. Everybody's going to die. And nobody knows. I've never told anybody this, but at that time, even before this, death was my biggest thing. The unknown. And I'm sure many, many people feel the same. But death was huge to me, man. I mean, I, I would just be terrified as a kid of thinking about death and just one of my biggest fears. I didn't show it, but it was. Tough macho fireman, you know what I mean? So he wants you to know that it's okay that everybody dies. And uh, sure enough, man, after this instant, I, you know, I go home and try to stay up all night. And, and something felt different. It did. It felt a lot lighter after I heard all this about the guy following me. She described the guy to a T, and the guy she described was the 82-year-old male from 211 Underwood Street, my first DOA, to a T, gray beard, horn rim glasses, uh, white hair missing on the top, but long in the sides, long enough for a ponytail, skinny, very skinny, white male. And she describes him, you know, crazy, thinking to myself, you know, what is happening right now? So I go home later that night, you know, we just go back to watch TV, yeah, <laughs> So the girlfriend comes back, drops me off at my house. We were in her car that night. So I go home and, of course, don't want to go to sleep, as usual, trying to stay up. I end up falling asleep, and I never had the dream again. I didn't have it that night. I never had it again, ever. Still to this day, I never had it again. I've, I could probably count on my fingers how many times I've had a panic attack since then. And like I said, I'm 30. Uh, the call happened when I was 17. I want to say I was around 23, 24 when this conversation with me and her mom went down. Uh, I'm 30. I got kids now. Never had it again. Probably had maybe three panic attacks since ever in my life. So later went out and finally talked to some other firemen about it. And there's a big thing with uh, PTSD, and which is what I have. So PTSD, of course, with guys overseas, thank you all for your service. It's very recognizable, you know what I mean? But with first responders, it's a different scene. You know, PTSD is a very unknown subject. It's known, but it's kind of not a big deal, if you know what I mean. You bring this stuff up to the guys in the firehouse, and it's what we do, you know what I mean? It's no fault of the fire service, but I just want everybody to know out there, PTSD happens to more than just the military. Those guys do what they do and they do an awesome job. America is what it is because people like them. But first responders also need awareness for PTSD. First responders see bad stuff. Those guys are dealing with people shooting at them, their buddies getting blown up and that's serious stuff, man. We're dealing with families going down the road and getting hit by a big rig and having to clean that up. But yeah, that's my story, dude. Love the uh, podcast. Listen every day at work. Um, I got uh, way more stories, way more. And I'm definitely going to call back with more. Keep doing what you're doing, bro. I appreciate it, man. All right. Bye. Thank you, Justin. You know, that's quite the story. And it's quite a way to find out you have an attachment, so to speak. So let's begin with your sense of dread or doom and the nightmares that you experienced. You know, going off what I'm hearing about this man, 
It certainly doesn't seem like he is the catalyst behind these terrible feelings. The ones Justin described. So without going too far out on a limb, I wonder if the old man is somehow protecting Justin rather than harming him. Now I've heard tell of protector spirits, attachments that are seemingly there for the sole purpose of protecting the living from a dark or possibly even evil entity. But then of course there's the girlfriend's mother. How did she know all these details? And what else could she see? And finally, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now having discovered a body myself, a close family member, a tragic situation to add to it. I completely understand the crippling effects of PTSD. I too experience those sleepless nights. I too suffer from the nightmares. So I feel for you, Justin. And I feel for all the first responders that suffer from this awful disorder. You know, my mom was an EMT for a dozen or so years, and she would sometimes share some of the awful things she saw and was forced to deal with. I honestly had a hard time with just the description she gave, let alone seeing these tragedies firsthand. So on behalf of the entire Monsters Among Us family, we are here to support. Sarah and I have researched an organization that not only offers services to first responders, but offers tailored support for those heroes in need. Visit the All Clear Foundation at allclearfoundation.org to learn more about the help that you may need. And if you're not a sufferer, but you'd still like to help, there is a big blue donate button at the top right of the page. And that's allclearfoundation.org. Of course, it almost goes without saying that tonight's sponsor, BetterHelp, may also be a good resource to help get you started. Either way, we really appreciate your entry, Justin, and we thank you for the service you provide. And that's going to do it for this your final regular episode of Season 11. Now, I will be dark next week to prepare for the massive Hometown Legend episodes, so I'll see you guys back here on July 22nd. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. Keep the party rolling by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score that you hear, well, that's Co.ag Music and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week. Quick, look yonder. It's Chad with tonight's bonus entry. Hey, Derek Hayes. This is uh, Chad White. 
And I have quite a few stories for you, and I am a big fan of the podcast. My first story that I'd like to tell you guys is actually when I was still a baby, my mom was next door in Buffalo, New York, playing cards with her best friend, my aunt, and she had a baby monitor in my bedroom. And she heard something on the baby monitor and she sent my father over to go see what was going on. And my father went back to our house. He turned on the lights and he saw a man in my bedroom. Now, my dad wasn't spooked, he says, but he ignored it and went back to playing cards with my mom. And roughly, I think she said five minutes later, they heard another voice or sound that made my mom want to go check on me. And when my mom went there, she said that she seen a man in a black suit with a 80s style hat on. And she said it creeped her out so much that she went past the man and grabbed me out of the crib. And when she did that, the man vanished into thin air and she ran next door with me in her hands, left all the lights on in the house and then proceeded to tell my aunt, my uncle and my father what she's seen. I eventually heard about this story later on in my life. This is just one of the few stories I have to offer the podcast. Thank you. You have a nice day. Now that's father of the year right there. A strange man in a suit in my child's bedroom. Hmm. Nothing to see here. That wasn't so spooky. It'd be hilarious. But thank you, Chad, for the entry. Now I'm not certain if Chad was visited by a ghost, a shadow person, or something out of left field, like a man in black. But we're certainly glad that he took the time to share the experience with us. And of course, I thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Please, have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.